Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Well, good morning, Simple Church. How y'all doing this morning? You guys doing good? Let me just first tell you that your pastors in this church is the real deal. Do y'all agree with that? You know, we're talking about relationship goals, but let me just say, hashtag church goals, you're it, okay? You know, when it talks about being the church, the church is, is, is intended to, be, to build up one another, right? To encourage those and to connect people to God. And there's been times in my life where I've needed encouragement. In fact, man, I hit a really rough spot last year. In fact, our, our church, man, we just hit a, a, we hit a rough patch. And I remember the day when I needed encouraged most, at like 9.30 at night, unannounced, Pastor Aaron, actually, he don't do anything like, he's like, dum, 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 on my front door, and I look out, thankfully I had clothes on, I look out, and I see the entire Simple Church staff, and they just showed up to say, hey man, we were thinking about you, we're praying for you, and here's some goodies for your kids to get them hopped up on sugar at 9.30 night, but let me just tell you, your pastor and your staff team is the real deal, and come on, that is good stuff, so I'm honored to be here. And, uh, you know, we're in this series, Relationship Goals, and I get the honor of wrapping it up today. And so I was thinking about, when I think of relationship goals, man, there are just Instagram photos, there are uh, memes that have just been trolling the internet, there are Google images in my mind. And so I was thinking of some of these perfectly put together relationship goal photos. I thought, wouldn't it be fun if we take some of those photos, but then we have them reenacted by our simple church staff? Would that be fun? So the first one we have here is the, is, the, is the classic beach scene, right? Like, I don't even know how these people created this photo, but I thought, you know who could do it better? Pastor Aaron and Shane. Let's take a look. Aww. Like, legit, that's the perfect photo I've ever seen. That's amazing. And I notice how the sun is just coming behind Aaron. Oh, it's just perfect. So, <laughs> perfect. So the next one have, we have, uh, you know, some, uh, some relationship goals, they take it to the next level in terms of their health. Do we have that next picture? And, uh, you know, some people, they're just on this level. And so I thought no one better than Jason and Daniel Laporte uh, could, could do it better. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag almost, almost. Yeah. You know, I think part of our relationship goals, too, is not just to be in love today, but to just go into our advanced years in love. And someday we want to have a relationship like this next couple. Aww. And I hope this doesn't offend him, but as he's advancing in his years, we have Pastor uh, Tim and Amy Tool. Come on. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty awesome. In this, ne- <laughs> in this next picture, in fact, I've seen a lot of milkshake. Like, there's a milkshake in the video. There's a milkshake in the picture. There's a milkshake in this picture. It's really making me want to go to Dairy Queen and get a strawberry milkshake. But we thought our kids director, Laney and Elliot uh, Rinky, could do it even better. <laughs> now, I don't see a label on that bottle, so I don't know what they're drinking. But 
Since they're kids' directors, I think it's root beer. It's root beer, yeah. And this last one, uh, yeah, if you want to show this next picture, it is like the classic, <laughs> most epic relationship scene of a movie I've ever seen. And there's only one couple that could one-up it. It's the one and only Derek and Kyle Smith. <laughs> yes. Hashtag relationship goals. Please make these photos go viral. Please. Get it on your Simple Church app tonight, right? <laughs> All right, so I'm, uh, I'd love to share some relationship goals with you about my wife and I, but I'm not going to share a picture with you. In fact, I'm going to share a video with you. And it was a couple years ago, my wife and I were on a date. We were up in Amish country and enjoying dinner. And we noticed in the field next to us, there was, uh, there was a pack of alpaca and llamas. And my wife thought it would be a good idea to go down and pet the llamas. So I did what any good husband would do and got the whole thing on video. And so the video you're about to watch is actually being introduced by Steve Harvey. And so the woman in the video is my wife, and the voice in the background is yours truly. Take a look. Welcome back to our last laugh, everybody. Have you ever seen anybody doing something and you know what's coming? And you just sit there and you go, really? You don't know what's going to happen here, but you know they know it, but they, and you just go, wait for it, wait for it, because you know. Roll the tape. <laughs> He's going to spit on you. He just said it. He just said what he's going to do. <laughs> wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> Got you. I'm going to go get my face in the face of an animal whose reputation is it spits on you. The dude that was filming it said he's going to spit on you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> she said, he's taunting me. No. He's just trying to get you closer <laughs> so he don't miss. Get you right up under here. You ready? Ooh, you so stupid. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Husbands, let me just tell you, to have Steve Harvey in front of millions of viewers make me sound like the voice of reason in my home, that is hashtag priceless, right? Now, this next part, and it's not intended to be boasting, this, this just, it blows my mind how this simple video, what is done. But just last week, I got a check in the mail, not from this video, but this little clip of my wife ended up in a commercial for a makeup company for a face cleanser. Come on. <laughs> is that not amazing? Just in case you're going to get spit on a llama, use our product, right? But literally, a check came in the mail last week because of this stupid video, $1,735. Isn't that amazing? So husbands, if you don't remember anything today, all right, you should be recording the foolish things that your wife does because it pays, right? It pays. All right, y'all ready to jump into the message today? 
All right, so let me recap for you. You guys have been in a series called Relationship Goals. Uh, you started off with uh, talking about having the number one goal is to be Christ-centered. Put Christ in the center of every area of your life, including your marriage. That's where true life and true blessings begin. The second one was mission-driven. We can accomplish more together than we can on our own. And I believe that God brought you and your spouse together on purpose for a purpose. Someone say amen. Last week, uh, I got to watch a really encouraging message from Pastor Aaron about devil kicking. And what do we got to do is we got to get the devil out of where he doesn't belong, and that's in the sanctity of our marriages and our relationships. And today, I get the honor of wrapping this up with covenant keeping, which is goal number four. So as we get started, I want to poll you guys for a moment. How many of you that are married ended up marrying someone that is different than you, like they are your opposite? Okay. All right, put your hands down. How many of you ended up marrying someone who's just like you? Like practically, you, you know, she can finish your sentences. You, she's like, you're si- no one? <laughs> well, that's kind of what I figure. Some say the birds of a feather flock together, but I think opposites attract. And when we're dating, opposites do attract. But then we get married, and eventually opposites attack, right? And the things that you admired about them in the beginning just now get on your nerves. Like in the beginning... For instance, maybe you loved how creative he was, and he always was coming up with the new things, and he was thinking outside the box. But then you get married a few years go by, and you're thinking, I just wish he was more organized, and I wish he'd put his underwear in the box, called a dresser, or the laundry hamper, right? Or maybe when you first got together with your woman, you loved that she was spontaneous. You loved that every day was something new. It was exciting. Well, then, she, then you got married, and eventually, that spontaneity turned into spontaneous trips to Charger, right? And every day, she's buying something new. And you're like, can you just stick to a plan, like a budget plan? And the thing that you admired about her now is making you pull out your hair. You know, we marry someone that's op- opposite us because we see something in them that we don't have in us. And it attracts us. And it ends up being one of the reasons why we get married. But can't you agree, it's those same reasons that make us different that sometimes can be the leading factors in why we want to get a divorce, which is where the majority of marriages end up. So I want to take a look at some scripture with you in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus talks about the reasons for divorce. It says, some Pharisees came to him, they came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. All right, you know those things I used to like about her? Is it okay to leave her because of those things? Like, is it lawful to leave your spouse for any and every reason? And then Jesus responds, well, haven't you read that in the beginning there was a creator who made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Say united. United. To his wife. The two shall become one. Say one. They will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, as we study this passage, and it says clearly that the Pharisees were trying to test him, and this was often protocol. They would try to get Jesus to say something that would upset the Jews, or he tried to say something that would turn the crowd against him. Part of me wonders, though, like, were they actually like asking Jesus because they were looking for some validation. 
Like they were looking for an escape clause. Like, well, if you would just agree that these are reasons enough for divorce, then I'll feel better about it and I'll go ahead and proceed. Maybe they were looking for an escape clause. I don't know. But the one thing that is very clear in this passage is that marriage is something supernatural. That something special happens when two join together in a holy matrimony. The two become one, right? They are to be inseparable. But not everyone approaches marriage the way Jesus describes it here. Now do they? And so here's what I want to do today as we wrap up this series is talk about three different approaches that we have to marriage in this culture. The first one is a casual approach. The second one is a contract. We approach marriage like it's a contract. And the third one is we approach marriage as a holy covenant. Let's talk about this casual approach for a minute. When we take a casual approach, what we're saying is that marriage doesn't really matter. That marriage is just like a piece of paper. It's a rite of passage. It's we check the box. Like eventually you grow, you grow up and you do what everyone else does. You get married. It's just kind of an old-fashioned tradition that everyone participates in. Some people just think marriage is more of a mindset, right, than, than a covenant. And this mindset that we have about marriage before we get marriage happens long before we say, I do. In fact, I think, it, I think this mindset of a casual, uh, and a casual approach to relationships plagues our marriages before they even begin. You know, our culture has replaced marriage with what we call a committed relationship. We're committed to each other, right? We're two consenting adults choosing to do life together. And as long as it's fun, as long as it's convenient, right, as long as we don't make each other mad, as long as it feels good, then there's really no reason to get married because we're already doing married things. You're committed to one another. You're intimate with one another. And eventually, you go from sleeping together to sleeping over for the weekend. And eventually, at some point, you mutually decide that it just makes sense to move in together, right? Because it saves you money, or it's more convenient, or it feels good. And besides, my toothbrush is already staying the night. My toothbrush already lives there. I might as well live there too. There was a recent study done by the Barna Research Group that says 57% of unmarried adults that are in a serious relationship are currently living with their boyfriend or girlfriend or have previously lived with a boyfriend or girlfriend. So that's the majority of adults are what we would call cohabitating, right? Living with someone who you're not yet married to. And if that's the case, that's probably the case in Reynoldsburg. And if it's the case in Reynoldsburg, it's probably the case with those in the room today. And so some of us are very uncomfortable right now because either we're part of this majority now or we've been a part of the majority in the past. And let me just tell you why I'm so comfortable making you uncomfortable right now is because I, too, was part of that majority. In 2006, let me tell you a little bit about my story. Before I was married, I was living with my fiance. And several years before that, I was in college. And I wasn't sharing a lease with my girlfriend, but we were sharing the sheets. You know what I'm saying? And because we were in a committed relationship, we spent every night together. No, I'm not that good. We weren't getting lucky every night. We were staying the night together. Either she was at my place or I was at hers. And here's the mindset that we bought into, okay? Maybe, maybe you can relate to this. But we told each other, well, we love each other. We're committed to each other. 
baby, you're the one for me. I would sing her songs from the 90s like, I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky. Come on. And she bought into it. And I bought into it. And I'd say things like, baby, someday we're going to get married. And the only reason we're not married yet is because we're still in school. Or I don't quite have that job that, that I know that I'm going to get. And, and we don't have that house yet. And, and baby, you deserve better. And so when I can provide better for you, then we'll get married. But hey, I mean, since we're going to get married anyway someday, it's just a piece of paper. Let's just be married at heart. Okay? So I always told her we were married at heart. I just didn't put a ring on it or take her to the courthouse. Are you with me? And I said, well, then if we're going to get married someday, then we might as well enjoy the fruits of marriage now. Now, here's the unfortunate thing is my girlfriend and I, we were like a roller coaster. We were up and we were down. We were up and we were down. And there were several times throughout college that we weren't together, that we broke it off, right? She dumped me for good reasons, and I dumped her for no good reasons, right? And when we broke up, we would split up. We would no longer share the sheets. We'd no longer stay the night. We'd, we, and, and one season, we even started dating other people. And we started this cycle over again. And this cycle that I'm describing to you, this tends to be the trend of our generation, is it not? It's a pattern. It's a pattern that we've started. The Apostle Paul talks about this pattern in Romans chapter 12. He says this. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Say pattern. pattern. The trends. That relationships tend to be a pattern. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right. If we want to experience God's good and perfect and pleasing will for relationships, then we cannot conform to the patterns of relationship that this world puts out in front of us. And here's the thing about these patterns. Our casual approach that I described, this casual approach to relationships, are patterned to prepare us for divorce. Think about it. Right? We begin a relationship... We pretend to be married. We do married things. We take, it, we, we, you know, we take a next step. We become more serious. We move in. We play house. And then something goes wrong. And then we leave. And when we leave, we're practicing divorce. We separate. We move on. And we start the cycle over. And this casual approach, this is the fruit of that casual approach to relationships in this casual view of what marriage is and what divorce is. But I believe this, and maybe you'll agree, that God's plan for marriage is so much better than that, isn't it? It's so much better than that. So let's take a look at the second approach that we can have to marriage. It's the contractual approach. And I know when you get married, you go to the courthouse, and you've got to apply for a license, and you've got to sign your name, and I think that's a good thing. But, but if we approach relationships as contracts, if we approach marriage as contracts, I think there's something inherently wrong with that, and here's why. Because a contract is based on mutual distrust. Think about it for a moment. The reason that you sign a contract is because you don't fully trust the person you're coming in agreement with. You know, contracts are intended to protect the people that are involved. 
to protect their interest. You know, I'm currently uh, refinancing my home, and the lender sent me a 100-page contract. I'm like, well, you don't trust me? I got good credit. I got good credit history. I got a good job. Can't you just believe that I'm going to pay you? And they're like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh, because we don't care so much about your past history. They want to protect themselves against the future, that if at any point you don't follow my conditions, we want to break up this relationship that we have with you. And here's the bottom line of those 100 pages. If you don't pay, you don't stay. How many of you have ever ever entered into a contract before of some kind? Yeah, probably multiple contracts. I've entered into multiple contracts. I've read many contracts. I've even written contracts. And here's the thing about contracts. The more contracts that you enter, the more that you read, the more that you study, the more that you write, you actually get pretty good at contracts, don't you? You learn something about contracts that you learn how to write them and to present them in a way that increases your rights, your benefits, and limits your responsibilities, doesn't it? And here's what we do. The more relationships that we enter on a contractual basis, over time, we put conditions on our relationships. Contractual approach is a conditional approach that we say, hey, as long as things are going good, I'm in. As long as you don't hurt me, as long as I'm happy, I'll stay. But the moment I'm not happy, the moment things aren't going the way I want, then I'm out. But there's a better way. John 15, Jesus talks about the way our love should be for one another. He says, my command is this, that you are to love each other as I have loved you. Did Jesus love us in a conditional way, in a contractual way? No. Jesus' love for us is what? It's unconditional. He says, here's my command to you. Love one another as I have loved you unconditionally. And then he clarifies. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So we are to love others unconditionally and sacrificially. And if you're married, it says that greater love has no one than this to lay down your life for a friend. And how much greater is your spouse than just a friend? How much more should we be loving and sacrificing for our loved ones? There's a third approach, the one I think that we all strive for, and it's a covenant approach. A covenant approach is not based on mutual distrust, but a covenant is based on mutual commitments. Unconditional commitment motivated by a sacrificial love for each other. Now, the word covenant, it's not a it's not a term that we use very often. You don't stroll around, yeah, I just entered into a covenant today. Yeah. But in the, Old, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word covenant is the word bereath. And it actually means to cut, to cut something. Because every time there was a, a covenant oath that was made in the Old Testament, there was always a shedding of blood. And so if two people would enter into a covenant partnership, a covenant oath, it would be very customary for them to take a bull, cut the bull in half, blood would pour out, and then the two would walk around the bull seven times, okay? And this was symbolic. Now, I'm not going to go seven times because I'll probably get dizzy, but, but this is what they would say, is that if I don't live up to my half of the covenant, then I shall be like this bull cut in half. And that's how serious a covenant oath was. It wasn't a casual affair. It wasn't a conditional affair. This was a covenant that I'm making an agreement right now 
that like this bull, if I don't live up to my half, I shall too be cut in half. If you would have attended a, a Hebrew, traditional Hebrew wedding, it's customary for the priest to take the hand of the bride and the groom and to cut them, to nick them. I've tried to talk a few of the couples that I counsel into this. They haven't taken me up on it. She says something about getting blood on her dress. I don't know why, but I know it's kind of strange. But he would take their hands with a nick, and then he would bind their hands together. And in Leviticus, it talks about how our life comes from our blood. And so when the hands would come together, their blood would mingle, meaning their lives would mingle, and the two lives would become one. And as their hands are bound together, they would make their oath before God and before their family. And it wasn't just a promise. It wasn't just a commitment. It was a covenant, a covenant agreement with the creator of the world and with a human in which God has given to us. It's kind of a big deal. And then what happens next was kind of awkward. They would undo their hands. And then at this point, uh, the husband and wife would go to what's called a, it's called a huppa. You got to say it with, there's like some phlegm in your mouth. Say huppa. Come on, say huppa. Okay. Which was a bridal suite, which was like the honeymoon suite. So while the party was starting and while people were waiting, the virgin bride and the virgin groom would go in to consummate their marriage in the huppa, where they would proceed to huppa huppa. That's a bad pastor joke, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm not going to do hand signals because Aaron did them last week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so then when they were done consummating their marriage, enjoying the gift that God prepared for marriage, they would come back to the party and that creepy uncle would be like, back so soon? <laughs> Don't worry, buddy. It gets better. <laughs> You're still glad you invited me to come, Aaron? All right, good. You picked what I was going to preach on, let me say. But here's what I want to encourage you, is that marriage matters to God, and so does the gift of lovemaking. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Marriage should be honored by all. That's children, teenagers, engaged couples, married couples, divorced people, widows, Marriage should be honored by all. And one of the ways that we honor marriage is by keeping the marriage bed pure. And it says, For God will judge the adulterer and all sexually immoral. Marriage is a holy covenant, and we must protect the marriage bed before we're even married, prepared for, for that, what God has prepared for us and our future spouse. But if you're here today, you might be thinking, but Justin, what if I mess that up? What if I've already broken that covenant? What if I've been shortcutting God's best plan for relationships and I'm already enjoying the fruits of marriage before I'm married? Rather than doing God's will God's way, I've been doing my will my way. Then what? Well, let me first encourage you with, I can relate to that. Because when I was 20 years old, my girlfriend and I found ourselves in the parking lot of a giant Eagle grocery store, and we were staring at two pink lines. I was the captain of the football team. I was president of my fraternity. I was a straight-A student. 
Mindy was a professional cheerleader. She was a nursing student. She was always on the dean's list. We appeared to be really smart by the world's standards, yet we were very foolish by God's standards. And we had been pretending to, we had been pretending to be married. We had been playing house, and it just got real. This was on a Saturday, and one of us had the great idea that we should go to church tomorrow and tell our pastor about this. That definitely wasn't my idea. <laughs> because this was her pastor in her church. And the senior pastor at the time was her youth pastor growing up. And so I, I just figured I knew how this was going to go. I was going to be that guy that got this girl pregnant. And I figured he was going to write me a one-way ticket to hell and issue it to me right then and kick me out of church. And I remember Mindy coming up to uh, the pastor at the end of church. You know, he's shaking hands, kissing babies, smiling, high-fiving people. And she leans in, I'm pregnant. And he's like, what? We need to talk, you know. He takes me back to a conference room. And I expected him to really lay into me. And instead, I got the opposite. I got some of the best advice that I've ever received. He says, guys, what happened here was not God's best. There's an order to relationships, and you've gotten that out of order. He said, but you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. What's done is done. Then he said, but there's never a better time to start living for God than right now. And he encouraged us to put Christ in the center of our relationship. And he encouraged us to repurify our relationship. I didn't even know what that meant. He said, you know what? What's done is done. But right now, for the very first time, you can begin to honor God with your relationships. That thing that led to you getting pregnant, stop doing that thing. Become abstinent again and begin to honor God. And this was the first time in my life that I had ever obeyed God for real. I mean, I came to church with my girlfriend and I had prayed some prayers, and I had worshipped, and I had done these things, but I never really, truly obeyed God in something that was hard. And for the first time, I chose to repattern my life in a way that honored God. Was it hard? Oh, yes. She's pregnant. We've been together for four years pretending to be married. Now, all of a sudden, I'm supposed to just be different. Yes. And as we honored God, God honored us. And here was the hard part. The pastor, he really kind of leaned into me on this one. He said, hey, Justin, marriage is a covenant. It's not a cover-up. He says, if you go run to the altar to try to cover up this mistake, you're shortcutting what God wants to do in your life. He says, do it right. He says, make sure that you want to enter a covenant with the creator of the universe and not just cover up a mistake. And that really spoke straight to my heart. And so, man, we decided that we, not only were we going to wait until Mindy had the baby, but we were going to wait another nine months until we got married. And through that process, we repurified our relationship. We did the hard thing, and we repatterned our relationship in a way that honored God. And there's something I want to make sure that you catch in this story is that Obeying God in my relationships was a big step in my relationship with Mindy. 
but it was a giant leap in my relationship with God. Because the first time I began to trust him, for the first time I began to repattern my life in a way that honored God. That first step of obedience was pretty hard for a 21-year-old punk kid to repattern his life. That first step of obedience led me to one day to be able to take a next step with trusting God with my finances. And eventually I'd get to a place where I trusted God enough to where I could tithe and put him in the center of my finances. And then that next step led to a point where someday I would trust God to to raise my kids to know him and to do parenting his way. And that next step led to one day that I was going to trust God enough to trust him with my career and choose which jobs to take and which promotions to pass on because I was trusting God and his plan and doing God's will God's way. And eventually, Mindy and I got to a place where we trusted God enough that we'd be willing to start a church in Patasco, Ohio. And as we have honored God, God has honored us. But as I look back on our journey over the last 13, 14 years, we now have five children. Our marriage has gotten better each and every year. God has entrusted us to encourage other married couples and other engaged couples with our story. But I don't know if I'd be where I am today, pastoring a church in the town I love, had I not taken that first step of obedience, right? To make my relationships Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping, and and treating marriage as as it is intended to be, a holy covenant with him. As we close, I want to share this last scripture out of 1 John chapter 2. John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So I know I'm sharing a, a challenging message with you today, but the reason I'm sharing this with you is so that you do not sin, so that you don't make some of the same mistakes that others have made before you, so that you can... Uh, protect yourself from some of the current pain that, you're, that, that you may be going through and some future baggage that is yet to come. But then he goes on to say, but if anyone does sin, and every hand in the room goes up, yep, that's me. Maybe you didn't get this right. Maybe you feel like it's too late. It says, no, it's not. If you have sinned, know this, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And he is the propitiation of our sins. He is the atonement for our sins. And not just ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. That if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So maybe we've messed up. Maybe we haven't been doing relationships God's way up to this point. Man, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. What's done is done, and it's time to forgive yourself. There's no reason to walk in shame, but there's no better time to start living for God than right now. You know, maybe the marriage bed in your home has been defiled. Maybe the way that you've treated your spouse is contractual. And you've been coming to them with conditions. When they don't meet your conditions, you respond in a way that's not a holy matrimony. 
Maybe your approach to marriage has been casual and you haven't treated it for the covenant that it is. Man, what's done is done. And today I encourage you to repurify your relationships, to put God in the center of them today. And this day moving forward, begin to repattern your relationships in a way that honors God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful uh, for each and every single person in the room. They're not here by accident. Lord, you brought all of us together to be encouraged by your word and to encourage one another. You know, as a church, you know, we've been studying relationship goals. And you make it very clear that you have a will, a perfect and good and pleasing will for relationships. And there's a way in which we can do that. And it removes our own selfish desires and we begin to submit to your spirit. And we begin to follow your commands and to follow the path in which you pay for us so that we can experience the fruit of covenant relationships. And the first covenant relationship that we can enter is not with a a spouse, but it's actually with you. That every time we enter into a covenant, blood is shed. And we're so grateful that Jesus died on a cross and his blood was shed, that he did his part. He owned up to his half and he was the propitiation for our sin. He paid it for us. But the half that's up to us is to accept him. It's to receive him. It's to make him our Lord and our Savior. It's to live for him. So if you're here this morning and you're ready to enter into that covenant, into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you believe that God is who he says he is and that Jesus did what he said he was going to do when he died on a cross for you, if you're ready to make that commitment today, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. And right where you're sitting, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to invite you to, to repeat after me in a simple prayer. And those around you are going to, are going to say this out loud with you. So repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me first. Thank you for loving me enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me in payment of my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Come on.